Pride of Thailand and Color X, a Tropical Moon podcast story. It is not known exactly how old Tropical Moon is, as no one ever thought it necessary to keep any records on the matter. Nevertheless, there were parts of and places on the moon that were clearly very old. One of these is the old observatory up on Apollo Hill. It is a large austere-looking building made from huge blocks of stone and perched on a ledge looking out over the sea. When planets rose up over Tropical Moon's horizon, the silhouette of the formidable old observatory inked onto a vast planet was a spectacularly eerie sight. Tropical Moon's resident hippie, Mr. Russell, was often the recipient of one of these shiver-inducing views. Tonight, in a peculiarly mellow mood, even for himself, he received the shudder through his ancient golden telescope while reclining in a plump red velvet armchair. Mr. Russell, you see, lived in a strange part of town known as the Gothic Quarter, or, to a very few and rather select tropical moonians, the heights of St. John of the Obliterated H. The reason for this, however, is not a matter for today's story, and will, if anyone remembers, be discussed some other time. It was a maze-like district of narrow and steeply undulating cobbled streets and asymmetrical houses, many of which were stacked on top of each other and jutting out onto the narrow streets. Some of the taller ones even touched at the eaves, much like two giant tropical moon cyclopes propping each other up with their foreheads. Mr. Russell lived in an impossibly small turret that looked like it had just been an afterthought bolted onto a high house that in turn had also been in addition to an original building. His turret was only accessible through a small hatch in the ceiling towards the rear of the exotic fruit, leaf, snake oil and frog juice shop that he owned. Every evening, after closing up his shop, he would stagger through all the bizarre and colourful rows of imported fruit stacked up in wooden boxes, imbibing leaf in ornate and rare humidors, vast bulbous glass-stoppered jars of oils and potions, and past the amazing centrepiece of his shop, the enormous skeleton of an ancient tropical moon-horned mammoth that was draped with what remained of its preserved pelt. He passed through the ever-changing strange and foreign aromas and fragrances exuded by his wares and the cages of amazingly rare living joysticks that emitted fragrant smoke from their tails when suitably flattered and were obtainable only from one specific jungly habitat on one of the many beautifully coloured planets that rise and fall over Tropical Moon. By sliding along a bamboo ladder that was attached to the wall behind his antique poisonwood till, he would ascend through the hatch and emerge into his turret. The inside of this most suitable of all abodes was furnished a bit like the interior of an old Indian gypsy wagon. It was hard to know what colour the walls were, as every inch of them was adorned with shelves of memorabilia, paraphernalia, trinkets, pipes, bongs, jars and potions. Almost every night, Mr. Russell sits in his comfortable old Chesterfield armchair and observes all the goings-on of Tropical Moon through his antique golden telescope. He particularly enjoys the imposing view of the old observatory on the hill and reviewing the day's most important and interesting goings-on in the districts below. For Mr. Russell's telescope was a unique instrument. Not only did it magnify things, but, owing to the nature of the air trapped between its lenses, it remembered things. He'd sit there for hours just observing the world with a large glass hooker next to his chair, which bubbled away through several goldfish bowl-sized chambers full of an entire rainbow of liquids. Through a spoonwood mouthpiece, he would inhale a swathe of intoxicating and exotic substances. Tonight's mixture 
was a maraschino-like cherry blossom tobacco he had picked himself from the trees at Technicolor Monorail Station while trying not to be bitten or insulted by the local monkeys. He had cured it himself, for his telescope informed him that it had been ill. Following this, he mixed it with a nourishing resin of unknown origin that had been anonymously left at the door of his shop. It had been neatly wrapped up in wax paper and now dangled from his hatch door by a piece of string, which was once the belt of Mr. Blank, a hobo that had passed away in unfortunate circumstances and who Mr. Russell had been uncommonly fond of. Although Mr. Russell spent much of his time in solitude, he was incredibly popular on Tropical Moon and was often the recipient of gifts, particularly of the reality-adjusting variety. They were left by well-wishers and admirers. As he sat there, filling the little turret with aromatic sweet cherry-scented fumes, he turned his attention again to the old observatory, fiddling with the telescope's dials in order to bring the observatory's dome-shaped roof into sharp focus. Like wow, he thought, a thought and phrase common to all hippies, regardless of their nationality and, for that matter, language. That's strange, he thought. The observatory's dome rotated to give the huge telescope a comprehensive view of the night sky, and it was still in the same position as it had been the previous night. Perhaps not too much of a coincidence, he thought, but, thinking about it, he hadn't seen it move in days. Perhaps the live-in observatory operator, an impossibly old gentleman called Professor De Vizioso, was on his holidays. Mr. Russell made a mental note to make the journey up to the observatory in the morning to check in on the professor. It was just this type of thoughtfulness that made Mr. Russell such a popular figure on Tropical Moon. And, besides, he could always bring his old wicker trug and pick up any interesting-looking flora, and, for that matter, fauna, as Tropical Moon's creatures were often hallucinogenic, to cure if necessary, and smoke in his hooker. In fact, Mr. Russell would often forage for, and consume in an experimental way, a wide assortment of Tropical Moon's vegetation, marking down their effects on the body and mind in a vast, old, no longer depressed whale-hide-bound notebook he kept on one of his shelves. Professor De Vizioso had been the astronomical scientist up at the old observatory for as long as anyone could recall, and every few months or so he would urgently summon the residents of Tropical Moon up to the observatory and share with them any of his findings that he felt important enough to publicly announce. Confusingly, though, they were often not of a scientific nature. The last big announcement had been simply this, that he had had a hunch that everything was going to be okay. On another occasion, he again summoned all the residents up to the observatory, just to inform them that barcodes look really ugly on packaging, and suggested that if everyone took up communism as a hobby, then barcodes would disappear in a cloud of irrelevance. Not wishing to offend the aged professor, everyone took to wearing bearskin hats with a red star on the front of them for a couple of years, and putting those price stickers that split up into three segments back on goods, until he had forgotten all about the barcodes. As Mr. Russell approached the observatory, he could see the end of the enormous telescope protruding from the gap in its dome. The telescope had been named the Pride of Thailand. This name had come about due to the recessed lettering down the flank of the instrument's barrel, which read, Made in Thailand. The curious thing was that there was not, and never had been anywhere on Tropical Moon, or for that matter any of its planets, called Thailand. Tropical Moon's history is vague at best, but residents past and present were all used to strange anomalies such as this. Different theories had come and gone over the years as to where or what Thailand was, but nothing very compelling had ever emerged.
The strangest thing of all, though, was that anyone who used the telescope would come away with a deja vu feeling of a far-off distant land full of elephants. Food that tasted like a perfume counter, balding kings, children with gold top knots, and amazingly out-of-place women in huge Victorian crinolines. Mr. Russell had long pondered this strange situation. Perhaps it was a rare celestial connection, a kind of bridge between worlds. Could it be a clue that no civilizations are orphans in this universe? Or, for that matter, any other? He certainly didn't feel like an orphan. Everything inside the observatory was old-fashioned and dated, like a fusty old museum, but it defined the charm of the place. The entrance hall was almost like an old hunting lodge with its polished boards and vast oriental rugs. But, instead of stuffed animal heads on the walls, there were dusty models of planets and a selection of orreries. Every one of tropical moons orbiting planets was painstakingly modelled, mapped and described in intricate detail. The entire set, including the major asteroids, was housed in yellow coconut wood framed glass display cases. Mr. Russell made his way inside and up towards the professor's living quarters. There was no sign of him there, just stacks and stacks of astronomical clutter, reams and reams of data sheets and loose notes held down against what Mr. Russell's permanently altered state of perception had always believed to be Tropical Moon's suspect gravity by a polished meteor acting as a paperweight. As he turned away to carry on his search elsewhere, Mr. Russell suddenly noticed something that sent a chill through him. The professor's untouched breakfast of eggs, some dubious-looking bone-whiskered fish, and a toby jug of whiskey sat completely untouched upon the old writing desk. Something was clearly wrong here. Very wrong indeed. Mr. Russell now began to allow a little paranoia to creep in. He felt compelled to locate the professor with an urgency that bordered on franticity. The increasingly flustered hippie turned over every room that he could find until there was nowhere left to search but outside. Hey, the garden, he wondered. Like, is he in the garden? he said out loud. Unlikely, he replied to himself, as the observatory didn't have a garden. It did, however, have an enormous telescope, which was, after all, its raison d'etre. Mr. Russell ascended the narrow spiral stone staircase that led up to the telescope at the very top of the building, bounding up with his long wiry legs three or four steps at a time, almost as if he was floating. He was struck by the vivid purple light streaming in from every window. A new planet must have risen while he'd been in the dark, windowless bottom half of the observatory. As his eyes adjusted to the new light and his nose became accustomed to the new smell that this particular planet brought with it, a cloud of sour pineapple bats shrieked and flitted around the room. Their species had a total distaste for this particular planet, and they quickly became angry when disturbed from their refuge. It was then that Mr. Russell saw the professor sitting in the reclining chair that was attached to the telescope and allowed comfortable long stretches of viewing. He was sitting completely motionless, with his eyes still fixed to the viewing glass. Mr. Russell approached tentatively. Death was rare now on Tropical Moon, ever since Bert, Tropical Moon's space program director, had proved that it was optional, but it was not unheard of. Hey, Professor Davizioso, he said out loud, but tentatively. There was no response. Mr. Russell took a few steps closer, and as he leaned forward, he was just able to see the professor's eye blinking. He was alive, but something wasn't right. Mr. Russell put his hands on the professor's shoulders and shook him gently. With that, the professor turned his head, 
seemingly finding it almost impossible to pull his gaze away from the telescope. He spoke in a voice that sounded both shaken and awestruck. I thought I knew it all, you know. And then this happened. With that, he turned back to the telescope and continued to gaze at whatever it was that had had his complete and unwavering attention for the last few days. Mr. Russell was certain that if he hadn't turned up when he did, the professor would have surely died from starvation, or at least become so distracted that he simply forgot to go on living. He was frail enough as it was, and so he tried in vain for several hours to try and take the professor's attention away from whatever the telescope was aimed at. Incidentally, it was during all this intriguing business that Mr. Russell, after so many years, just randomly remembered what his first name was. Eventually, Mr. Russell covered the viewing piece of the telescope with his hand, and the trance-like grip of the spell became broken. Coming back to his senses after what seemed like a long sleep, the professor looked up at Mr. Russell and said, No one ever must look at that planet ever again. And with that, Mr. Russell helped the ancient professor back down the spiral staircase to his living quarters. After finishing his freshly made eggs, dubious fish and whiskey, the professor began to explain what had transpired over the last few days. Upon conducting his usual research and data collecting of the celestial bodies in the night sky, he had accidentally stumbled upon a hitherto unknown planet, an unknown planet with the strangest property. It was a new colour, an unseen-ever-before colour, a previously unknown colour. Now to even try and imagine a new colour is unfeasible. The synapses of your brain simply won't allow you to believe it, even if you see it. It's one of the laws of our reality. There are no more colours, and if you try to steer your imagination towards a new colour, you will be cerebrally rebuffed. To actually see one will leave you so disorientated, you'll fall into a trance as if like a new door had been opened. A new truth, a step into a sense that you didn't have before. An awakening. It was actually lucky that a man of the professor's own peculiar genius was the first one to see it, as few others would have been able to come back from the hypnotic trance. The problem now was what to do next. If the professor gathered the residents at the observatory for one of his announcements, it would only be a matter of time before someone went looking and found the new colour, colour X, and caused themselves all sorts of pericombobulations. But, on the other hand, who were they to hold this incredible revelation back from their fellow tropical moonians? Besides, wasn't it this arrogance in people dispensing truth and frowning on investigation that made it so difficult for our brains to comprehend new things in the first place? Over the next few days, the professor and Mr. Russell conducted further tests before going public with their findings. It so turns out that regular telescopes aren't powerful enough to view the Color X planet. The only one large enough was the Pride of Thailand, and this made things much easier. However, the professor's scientific claim needed to be confirmed by another party. Someone else would need to view Color X for validation. Someone whose mind was already used to being opened and closed, expanded, contracted, and generally stretched about. A malleable mind capable of accepting such revelations without worrying about its intrusion into accepted truths. The answer, of course, was staring the professor in the face. Mr. Russell, Tropical Moon's favourite hippie, had finally been called upon to fulfil his life's purpose. Well, one of them at least. The plan was to bring his trusty old hooker up to the observatory and smoke a mixture of substances suggested by the professor in order to prepare himself for Color X, and that's exactly what they did. They waited until there were no planets in the sky to dilute any of the new colour of the new planet. 
With one last lungful of tiger fungus and sour pineapple bat guano, Mr. Russell put his eye to the glass. As the first photons of Color X hit his retina, everything he assumed about the universe turned upside down, and inside out. This wasn't just a simple case of a new color turning up, it was an awakening. A dormant part of his brain had been switched on. Mr. Russell felt a connection to the cosmos like never before. It was like suddenly discovering a truth that was so blindingly obvious, it was unbelievable that he hadn't seen it before. Following the announcement of this monumental discovery, it soon became very clear that their worries had been completely unfounded. Between the Professor Crying Wolf with so many zany and crazed ravings before, and Mr. Russell, although very well loved, not being regarded as the most credible of witnesses, for obvious reasons, the announcement of Color X soon became quickly forgotten. As quickly, in fact, as Mr. Russell had once again misplaced his first name. There remained, however, two tropical moonians who could not forget about Color X, and, in time, Mr. Russell and the Professor became so accustomed to the color that they regularly arranged Color X evenings, where they would sit up at the observatory listening to freeform jazz and enjoying ripe halloumisogenic cheese and rich mature wine while taking turns to gaze upon the sublime Color X that raced through space and into their ever-expanding and fragmenting consciousnesses. Tropical Moon was created and written by Giles Warren. It was meddled with and narrated by his associate, Mr. Buckstansinger. If you've enjoyed your time on Tropical Moon, please don't forget to rate us and review, as it really does help. And if you would care to take a selfie and tag it with where and how you're listening to Tropical Moon, please do, and feel free to share it with our online community. There, you can see the artwork accompanying each podcast. So, until next time, goodbye and thank you for listening.